This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM. WFAN New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Now, later on in the hour, I'll tell you about a basketball referee who was attacked and beaten up after a game, but not by the parents, but by a team of eighth graders. The ref had to go to the hospital and needed 30 stitches. And then there is the women's volleyball coach at Grambling who informed all the kids on her current team that they're going to be cut and they would lose their athletic scholarships because the coach, a new coach, wanted to bring in her own recruits. Well, that's a bit cold to say the least, but as we have discussed on the show before, Athletic scholarships are given on a year-to-year basis. They are not guaranteed. Now, we'll get into these updates later on. But first up, I am most excited about this morning's show uh, because I'm going to be talking with a real-life sports parent, a dad who lives with his wife and their two little kids over in New Jersey. Now, his son is seven and is just beginning to be introduced into the world of youth sports, and especially baseball. Now, the dad, who was a top ball player himself when he was growing up, he was a star in high school, went on to play Division I baseball for four years at Marist College, is now watching and observing and teaching his own son how to play the game of baseball and other sports. But as you'll hear this morning, and as we already know, The world of youth sports is a lot different from when we were kids. Now, here's the kicker on this. This sports sports parent's full-time job is here at WFAN. And here's the backstory. I heard Brandon Tierney of Tiki and Tierney fame talking the other day about the trials and tribulations of youth baseball in his town in the suburbs. And I was so intrigued as to what Brandon had to say that I thought it might be insightful to hear what he what he has to say on my show as well of course i contacted him and here he is brandon brandon tierney good morning and welcome to the sports edge rick it's really really nice to join you how are you doing today ma'am i am fine and uh you know i i gotta tell you i want to cover a lot of 
uh, landscape with you this morning, and, and, and friends, of course, will take your calls at 877-337-6666. But, Brandon, let's start at the beginning. Now, mm-hmm. you sometimes talk on the air on your show about your own baseball experiences. So, yeah, just for, for the record, you went to Xavier High School on West 16th Street in the city. Uh, I'm curious, yeah. where was, what's the home field for Xavier? They play all over the place, right? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> you know, and, and by the way, you know, it, first of all, I might be a little hoarse because I've been coaching all weekend. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, and, and we have another one today, so I apologize for that. Okay. Uh, and, you know, and, and also, you know, as I said, really nice to join you. And, and, and I mean that. I There were many years where uh, I was in the car going, you know, uh, whether it was on the Palisades Parkway to go play somewhere in Rockland, can't go play golf. And, you know, I would listen to the show, you know, I was in my late 20s, early 30s, single, uh, and this world that we're about to get into on your show seems so far away, mm-hmm. and here I am. And, and so so it's really amazing. But, uh, yeah, Xavier was, Xavier was uh, and is a, a terrific school academically, yep. but it's a challenge. You know, it's, it's right in the middle of, uh, of 16th Street, so 6th Avenue, as you said. So the fields are all over the place. Where do we play? <laughs> Wherever we can get a field. Primarily East River Drive. That was the home field. And, um, you know, we play, whether it was Regis or LaSalle or uh, up at uh, Stepanak or Mount St. Michael's or a multitude of other Catholic schools. So we, we play at their place often. But usually, you know, it was, it was East River. And back then, Rick, we would get there and there'd be broken bottles. There'd be... Uh, no, no exaggeration. Crack vials or needles in the dugout, like mm-hmm. it was. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was not what the kids are playing on today in my in my neighborhood. That's for sure, <laughs> dude. For sure. Uh, I know. I remember uh, many years ago. Uh, yes, the the, the rec fields uh, when you played ball. I mean, um, yeah, that that's what we're like. It, it was. They were not uh, neat and clean. There was no artificial turf. Uh, it was just no. uh, you took your chances wherever you played, um, and that was part of the challenge. But anyway, obviously you yeah. you would you would start at Xavier. You went on to Marist as a uh, mm-hmm. as a power hitting uh, right handed what first baseman and outfielder. You're you're a big guy, about six three, about two two twenty. Is that correct? I, I, I think at one point I may have touched six three, but the back surgery I've I've lost a I've lost a half an inch. Yeah. <laughs> so, probably more in the area six two, and and right now I don't know. I'm probably about two fifteen, two eighteen. Uh, it's funny though. I I I wasn't really a power hitter in high school. I was more gap to gap. I mean, I popped a few, uh, but I was a high average hitter. Yeah. And then uh, when I went to college, it just it's so weird how this it actually ruined me. If I want to be you know truly honest with you which I will be throughout the conversation. We're playing West Point, and it's, uh, I was a sophomore, and I was, I was in the middle. Of, I think I was hitting third, and I, I just I, I, I connected, and I, I hit a bomb, really. I mean, I, I crushed one. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those balls where, you know, as a, as a tall, somewhat still lanky hitter, um, I just kind of – I almost stumbled upon the home run. I was more of a gap hitter, doubles power. And there happened to be a scout at the game. And he reached out to me, and I know you play, so you know the deal. And they wind up sending me this mental test um, at college. I'm only a sophomore now. Mm-hmm. And the one thing he told my coach, he said, listen, we really like his makeup. He's got a really sweet swing, and he can pick it, but he can't run. So he's going to have to hit with a lot more power. Like, if this is what he can do, because they were there for the home run, then we like him. And what did I do? Uh, all that whole off season, 
All I did was push-ups, you know, throwing more weight on the bench. I completely ruined and lost my swing. Oh. And, and, and Rick, I mean, full disclosure, deteriorated as a player to the point where here I am in my 40s, it still bothers me. Like, I don't know what would have happened if I, if I didn't see that scout, and I know I was nowhere near good enough to play at that high level. Yeah. But I would have had a much better collegiate career. Like, I really lost my swing. So, I, I think that, you know, as I move forward, certainly as a broadcaster, I think it does help me because I'm kind of sensitive and aware um, of, 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 you know, prolonged stretches of failure. I could relate to it. Uh, but also, I think what I've done, I've, I've used what I did wrong, you know, as a tool for my son and for the other kids that I coach to make sure – that you avoid that. So it's all a lesson, but in real time in college, it was it was a tough one, and it still bothers me. I, I, I gather, and yeah, I mean, it, it's as you say, we uh, every youngster, I mean, who, as you said, and obviously you had talent, and, and you were approached by a scout, and, and you know, you say, okay, I'm going to uh, set my sights on, on maybe getting a pro contract, and as you said, you worked, the irony is you worked your tail off, and it sort of backfired on you. But, yeah, I mean, now you are, now that's, that was you know back when you were like you know nineteen twenty years old. These mm-hmm. days, as you mentioned, you live over in New Jersey with uh, your wife and your two kids, uh, and your son Colton is seven years old. Um, yep, and uh, he's obviously into uh, into playing ball. But the reason, and, and obviously you're going through all this in your in your own head, um, because you had an, a solid athletic career of your own. Clearly, were talented enough to play Division One baseball, but. It's it's my experience, and again, this is just a, a personal observation, that those parents who who reached a a high level in their own sports career tend not to be as um, they tend to be more patient uh, and more forgiving since uh, with their little kids because they know full well how tough it is to succeed <laughs> in sports. So let's yeah. talk about that because obviously you're you're going through this right now because you're looking at Colton who's obviously. Pretty good little ball player, but he's only seven. I mean, how, how are you? How are you approaching all this? <laughs> and it's crazy. He just turned seven, so he's playing with the older kids. And you know, a couple of months ago, he was still six. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, too, and it's a great question, and uh, and I'll certainly answer it. I would preface it with with this though: it's when you get into coaching, uh, and obviously you have a child on the team. Be, before you actually do it, your your concept is in your own mind that it's certainly selfish, although it's rooted in in goodness, if you will. Um, that the most important thing about the team will be your child. That's like mm-hmm. what you think before you go into it. And then, and it remains that way, but you have to learn to distribute it and, and I guess almost, you know, um, uh, keep it from certainly uh, becoming too obvious, which is a challenge for some people. But really what, you, what I've learned is, man, I take a lot of joy in, and I didn't know that this was possible, so much joy in the other kids doing well too. It's it's now when they're up at plate, I coach third, right? When they're hitting, I'm not in the batter's box with them like I'm in the batter's box with my child. That's <laughs> different. Like you hurt, you feel better, everything's amplified with your kid. But the joy that I get from from the other kids is something that I never really never really expected. And listen, your point about or expected it to be this 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 palpable, which is which is a gift. Your point about Maybe if you play at a higher level, uh, it's a little easier to transition into youth coaching and and roll through the ups and downs because you know how tough it is. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I would agree with that concept, but I think it could also go the exact opposite. I think it's really one of two. If you were good, 
I think you probably, there's some comfort in, in your mind saying, you know, genes have been passed on. There's more than, a, you know, a rudimentary sense of, of your child knowing how to play. You've probably challenged them earlier than maybe some other dads that, and no, no disrespect, just didn't know what to work on. I mean, when they're three and four, little things, hand-eye, stuff like that. So when they get on the field, they're, they're a little bit more advanced. Yeah, there, there's that possible knowledge. But then there's also, and I, need, and I balance this, quite frankly, which is why I told the story about how, on, on so many levels, my collegiate career was, was emotionally, but also incredibly physically paid. I, only, I even had Tommy John my senior year. Like, I left out a multitude of injuries. I don't want to bore anybody. But I look at me, and because he's got a little talent, you know, I'm going to keep it, you know, I'm not going to overstate it. Uh, I balance like, okay, how hard do you push? How much do you challenge? How often do you get out there? And I think for the most part, my instincts are right, but they're not always right. And I think what, when that happens, you've got to quickly pivot and you've got to understand that. And then you've got to make sure that there's either a conversation in the car uh, a, when you're away from the team, or there's a moment where, um, you really connect. I'm talking to my son right now. I'll give you a great example. We're playing the other night, and again, he's playing with older kids. So he, I don't, I don't write up the lineup card for a reason. He's playing short. He's batting first, and he he, he can play, and he pitches too. So he comes in the other night, first inning, strikes out a couple, relatively smooth, completely smooth. Then it starts to rain, starts to get a little windy, gets knocked around a little bit. I think we booted a ball, but he got hit a little bit walked a few, and he is the kind of kid, and I love this because you can channel this properly. When he, when he, when he makes an out, he, he'll, he'll cry sometimes. Like, and it, but it's, it's tears of competitive nature, not mm-hmm. softness. It's, it's, I can see it because I, I, he's a very mature kid for his age. So I'm like, all right, I can see him starting to stew on the mound. And I think maybe last year or even earlier this year, I would have been a little different. I walked out. And I just, I looked at him and I said, what's going on, buddy? Like, it was a totally different approach. It was soft. Uh, it was, hey, I, you, know, I, you know what I even said? I said, listen, I said, last weekend, I said, remember opening day? I said, how many hits did we have as a team? And he said, I don't know. And he's like crying. He's like, yeah, no, I did it. I said, we had two. I said, you know who had both hits? I said, you did. I said, baseball, and he's pitching as I'm telling him this. I said, baseball, bud, as I've told you a million times, is based in failure. Yep. Have fun. Have fun. Look at your buddy Vinny at shortstop. Look at your buddy Max at third. We're having fun, kid. Now, did he strike out the next three batters? No. Did he rally? Yeah. Emotionally and, and from a, a performance point of view. And I, I think now maybe there'll be a time where it'll have to be a different approach. But you learn. You, well, you learn as you go on. The thing is that, and you just sort of capsulized uh, us very nicely, and we're talking with Brandon Tierney this morning. The fact is, with little kids, when they're first learning baseball, which as we know as grown-ups is all about failure, um, yep. it, it, it's sort of like a dichotomy here between when you try to instill in a kid the idea that, well, this is a game in which is basically designed to disappoint you. You're going to fail most of the times, but... We want you to have fun. But for a little kid, you know, the idea of having fun is all about success. So it's very, very (laughs) difficult to comprehend the concept of how can I have fun if I'm striking out or I'm not throwing strikes or the team isn't playing well. That is the beauty, the charm, as well as the curse 
of oh, playing yeah. baseball. And, and uh, you Rich. know that, yep. I know that, most of the listeners know that, but it is very, very difficult for a kid. As you said, little kids when they're six, five, six, seven, eight years old, if things don't go well when they're playing the game of baseball, yeah, they're going to be tears. They, there's Tears are routine. The question is, of course, is how does the coach, how does the parent, you know, as you just said, hey, just calm down, let's move on. This is a game in which you're going to fail, but that's not the point. The point is you just keep persevering because better times lie ahead. That's the key. Oh, there's no question. You know what's crazy, too, and, and you and I were talking during the week, <clears throat> we connected uh, leading up to the show, and, you know, it's so funny, so different. Like, you know, there's rec ball, obviously, but the, the, the games that I'm referencing with my son are, are travel teams, right? Mm-hmm. And and, and, and it's competitive. And, you know, from the uniforms to the fields to the tryouts to the off-season workouts to the to the commitment, we happen to have a great, a great parent base. And we take it serious, but we're not, we don't shove it down their throat. Like, the manager played collegiate hockey. Uh, he, was, he was a goalie. He played baseball at Seton Prep. Um, I played at Maris. The other assistant pitched at Montclair. I think we've got a good group, a good route. One of the other coaches is a prosecutor, um, and he was a, a very decorated uh, military background and a very, a very good athlete. So I think we've got that covered. Uh, but it's crazy, too. Like, when I was growing up, first and second grade, and I went to Catholic school, it was the dads. This was just, there was no travel team in first and second grade. <laughs> it, was, it was underhand. First and second grade was underhand, right? Yep. And, and, and these kids are playing first and second grade kid pitch. So it's totally different. And if you're playing soccer, if you're playing football, if you're playing basketball, which my son plays all those sports, if there's a moment of – Failure, I put quotes around, personal failure. Um, you can at least blend in with the other kids on the team. When you're in the batter's box and you're on the mound and you can't find the strike zone and you can feel this, not that the parents are groaning, but I'm sure from a kid's point of view, there's this malaise that kind of sets in because there's just nothing, ha- there's inaction, nothing's happening. And they know in their own minds that at least they compartmentalize it as them being responsible for it. So, that is tough, man. And, I, you know, not to mention getting into – and there's always one kid that comes out of nowhere where suddenly he's throwing cheese. So these kids are just getting the gumption to stand into a bat, uh, in a box and, and not be afraid to, to hit and not without getting hit. Rick, there's been a few times, one in particular, last year in the championship game in the USABL, we were playing this, this team called the Braves, and they're an elite program. And he's actually playing on that team, too. All right, so he's playing on. We had a game with him yesterday, but last year I'm coaching third. This kid is this kid is throwing gas from 46 feet, and and I'm saying to myself, geez, I mean, I'm an old man, yeah, yeah, 40s, but like I, I I wouldn't even touch him. I was Rick. I was terrified for our kid. I just this sounds like a defeatist attitude, and I'm the exact opposite. I just wanted them to get out and let's just move on. I didn't want a kid to get hit. Because oh. they don't even know how to react, well, how to really properly get out of the way of a fastball. It's it's a lot to navigate. I, I hear, Brandon, i got to take a break. We're talking with Brandon Tierney, uh, my colleague from WFAN, talking about, you know, the trials and tribulations of being a sports parent himself uh, after going through a very successful uh, career himself as an athlete. Um, and, yeah, friends, we're going to take some calls as well. A number, of course, is 877-337-6666. When I return, we'll, we'll continue our conversation with Brandon. Stay with me. I'm talking this morning with my WFAN colleague, Brandon Tierney 
who, when he's not on the air here at The Fan, he's at home being a dedicated and proud sports parent. And uh, yes, friends, we'll get to your calls in a second at 877-337-6666. Brandon, uh, you mentioned before the break about, uh, you know, kids at young ages uh, going out to pitch in youth baseball. And that's always kind of a an interesting sort of, a, you know, bugaboo for a lot of uh, coaches because, you know, on one hand, the kids... When they're, you know, six, seven, eight years old, they're going to bat against a kid who is their age. If the other kid doesn't have the ability to throw strikes, the kids in the batter's box are usually terrified of getting hit by a pitch. And uh, the question sure. then becomes, you know, what, what do we do? Do we, have the, the, uh, do we have the coaches go out and pitch to the kids at the early ages? Or at what point do, do we let the kids go out and pitch to opposing batters? Yeah, I've struggled with this here. I've, I've vacillated a little bit over the last year or so. So a little perspective. Now, the, um, and I was talking to the umpire before a game yesterday, just went up to say hi and kind of shooting the breeze. And I asked him, I said, I'm curious, you know, how do you, how do you process the strike zone at this age? And he kind of, you know, gave me his parameters, which aren't, you know, letter of the law parameters, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're kid. This is, this was the seven U team. And, and I said, interesting, and he, because the way he described it, it was more uh, widening uh, both, uh, you know, obviously left to right and also height, so expanding the strike zone, which I get. Otherwise, you might not have a strike thrown for 20 straight pitches. Mm-hmm. But, but, but what that does, Rick, while it helps speed the game along and while it helps, you know, get the ball in play, what you're also doing is creating a false strike zone for the batter. And, you know, if you get rung up on a pitch that's clearly a ball – uh, it, you know, you start to expand the zone and not to get like too not to expand the zone for seven year olds. But I mean, there's something to be said for being able to differentiate between what is a ball and what is a strike. As you get older, I mean, that's paramount. That's yes. probably what's either going to keep you in the lineup or not. So that's, that's the one thing that I've always struggled with. And one of my old teammates at Marist, he's down in Florida now, he's a very successful uh, high school and AAU coach. You know, I've sent him a lot of videos of my son, and I've talked to him a lot. We've always stayed in touch. Now, his son is 10, so he's a couple of years deeper. But when he told me what they do in Florida down uh, at the, with seven- and eight-year-olds, they just trot out the pitching machine. Yes. And, and I like that because now you're getting real hacks, but now there's balls put in play. And what worries me, Rick, is, and again, both teams that my son is on, pretty good. Like, we have pitchers. We hit, we're pretty good. Uh, but there's going to be days where we're not throwing strikes and the opposition's not, and you've got kids out there who are just staring into space because the ball hasn't been hit for 35 minutes in real time. Well, that's, and that's I'm glad you brought that up. Be- yeah, because, you know, there are leagues around the country who have said, okay, the same issue. I mean, we want the, we want the kids not to be standing around doing nothing in the field if the guy can't throw strikes. So they do either have, uh, as you say, a, um, a pitching machine that's utilized for a few innings. So there's this actually action going on. The kids can sit or stand in the, in the batter's box and not be concerned about getting hit by a pitch. Uh, and then they have a couple innings where the kids do go on and they – you know, pitch. So there is so that, that, that weaving in uh, of, of real live action from the kids from the mound. But it is a problem because you want the kids to, you know, learn how to be comfortable as best they can in the batter's box. Uh, it's no you question. Want, you want things to happen. Uh, let, let me get some calls in here because our time is, of course, limited. Uh, let's, uh, let's start our conversation uh, this morning with Brandon with, um, with Rob Freed from Lake Success. Good morning, Rob. You're on the fan. Rick, all right, listen, I got a week off from racing, so I get to call you, and 
You know, Brandon, I, I've called your show. We've talked a couple of times. I, I remember your dad went to Tilden, and, and my dad was coaching over at Midwood Basketball and was involved with getting uh, Billy Cunningham. We, and, and I remember a call that brought that up. <laughs> your dad can go. They have in Boca Raton every year uh, in, in the winter, in December. I'll somehow get this information over to you. A meeting of all the uh, PSAL players that played Throughout the years of high school uh, basketball, and I think he really oh, enjoyed man. it because they it, it's a, <laughs> they have professionals that go down there. It's, it, they probably get about five hundred people to go down in December to, to this to this uh, luncheon and all all wow. PSAL guys. And I think your dad, being uh, would probably be played in the PSAL, would get involved. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we really appreciate it. Rick. You know, your show is so amazing because it's about life. And I'm so glad that Brandon called in, and I can hear his passion and his personal story about that he failed. You know, in in playing over college baseball, he maybe got himself injured or went the wrong direction because of this scout. And he still lives that that, that pain. And I can hear it through Brandon. And, And I want to tell you something. One thing that going forward, all kids at this level, it's about fun. It's about fundamentals. And I, was a, I told you, I was, a, I was a phys ed guy before I became a phys ed teacher. I mean, I was a phys ed teacher before I became a physician. And so I understand what it is to be a coach on that level. And I must say, let the kids have fun. Teach them the fundamentals. And it's about, at this age, experience all different sports. Now, quickly, I'll end it because I know you've got a lot of calls. I started out as, as a hockey player and a soccer player in high school. And what happened was I tore my MCL in high school playing soccer. And my injury forced me to rehab it. And through the rehab, I started running. Well, lo and behold, because I realized through an injury that running is now my best sport at 18 years old, <laughs> got a college scholarship, and have wow. run 22. I ran for Adelphi. I participated. And next week, I'll be running the Boston Marathon, my 10th one, my 22nd. So, and I was a pretty good runner and still looking to run about 315 next week at 61 wow. years old. So, Brandon, you're not too old. Any age, anybody <laughs> could play. And I used all of that as, a, as, as, a, as um, life experiences because, like you said, participating in sports teaches you winning, losing, and it teaches you how to use the tools, Brandon, going forward oh. in life. And thank you for coming on because it shows, Rick, how many people listen to your show, the most informative show on WFAN. Rick, I'll talk to you next week. If hey, I get Rob, a good luck at the, in the Boston Marathon. And, uh, yeah, and Brandon, uh, Rob is just a you know, human uh, testament to the fact that he's an athlete for life, and obviously he's yeah. gone through ups and downs. But, yeah, in his early 60s, he's going to be competing, competing seriously in the Boston Marathon. It's pretty That's extraordinary right. stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's incredible. You know, um, let's uh, let's move on to uh, our next call. Let's go to uh, Ed Ward over in Elizabeth, uh, New Jersey. Ed, good morning. You're on the fan. Well, I just want to let you know that I got to coach against Brandon Tierney when I was assistant baseball coach at FDU. He was <laughs> okay. What's up, Ed? What's up, Brandon? How you doing? Good, buddy. How you doing, man? Good. No, I I love the great points that you brought up. Um, and I, one of the points that I want to bring up is it seems, Brandon, that the coaching staff that you guys have together all have some baseball background, yeah. which is yeah. important at the age that Brandon's son's at to teach the game. And, uh, Rick, I showed you the story last week or a couple weeks ago. My, I have a ne- five-year-old nephew that's down in Florida. He's playing t-ball. Mm-hmm. My brother coaches him. But what they do is for their hour and a half of practice, they break it down in, into stations, working on different yep. things. 
So, again, that the kids aren't outside picking daisies or picking their rear end or whatever. The point is it's keeping everyone active. And what's, what's good about it is my brother told me yesterday, people are – the other teams that they play are impressed how these kids know what to do with the baseball and all that stuff on that. And and I, uh, I, I was gonna, I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, and I don't want to ask uh, Brandon about that because, you know, the, 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 the experienced – Baseball coaches at the youth level uh, who have played ball themselves, yes, as you said, Ed, they know instinctively that you got to keep the kids active and go, you know, to having various stations at practices where for five or seven, ten minutes they're working on individual drills and they're being well mm-hmm. coached so that mm-hmm. the kids get a sense like I'm actually making some progress here. I'm moving from uh, how to learn how to, you know, take a, my batting stance to how to, how do I, how do I, what's my fielding stance? How do I take a, a, a you know, a lead? All these things, how do I catch a fly ball? All these things so the kids go through 90 minutes of real activity and eventually they begin to connect the dots as to how this all translates uh, into a game as opposed yeah. to... And, and, and by the way, Rick, those, yeah. those who don't might move on to another sport. Well, but that's what happens. Will, sure. sure. You, yeah, you're not, you're not retarding the progress of, of, of those who do get it. You know what's funny, too? So when we started doing... Even before T-ball, actually, when I moved to, to where, I, where I am now in New Jersey, um, didn't know anybody, and I just put something out, however, on social media, whatever, and kind of started this little instruction thing. Very, very small, right? Mm-hmm. Very modest, you know, free of charge. Just see what's in town, all right? And we got pretty good turnout, a few of whom are on the travel team now, which is great. Uh, but what I would do is, at that age, they were still like five. And I'd say, all right, you know, after time for the 10-second game, and I started this in my backyard, and the 10-second game is simple. I would take a fungo, and I would use a tennis ball, and I'm telling you, I would rocket it. I mean, I might hit it, you know, on the bounce, you know, with a little roll, 300 feet, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I would work up, and I would yell very slow, and you'd have to go one at a time, and you'd have to get the ball within 10 seconds, and you'd have to really run and get after it. So I, and I'd be yelling, you know, one <laughs> and I'd slow down and make sure that they always got. So what you're doing, you're, 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 you're introducing urgency, you're introducing structure, but it, it still seems like a little kind of a baby game because they're still only five. And then the other thing I learned very quickly is that they are, kids are obviously physically resilient, but they're a lot more intellectually, intellectually resilient than we give them credit for. And I think it's okay to speak to them with baseball terms. Like you don't have to say, Hey, when the balls hit here, I mean, you might with some, but you can use baseball verbiage, you know, hit the cut, hands back, load. Once you introduce it to them, you can really start to use baseball terminology. And I think if you do that, I think their IQ begins to soar. Don't be afraid to speak to them as athletes. No, I agree with that. Uh, look, at some point, the, the youngsters, uh, again, in the early ages, they are their their brains are sponges. They want to feel like they're being educated as to the the terminology of the sport. It gives them a little bit of an edge. They feel like they've been fully uh, accepted into the the baseball fraternity, if you will. Yeah. They're talking the yeah. language, and that stays with them, obviously, you know, right through the rest of their their playing days and beyond. I mean, it's 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 all part of the indoctrination, and again. Uh, you know, as, as Ed Ward had mentioned, you mentioned as well, and I feel the same way. You got to get the kids involved in practice situations so they feel like they're making progress, mastering some some very difficult skills, and and they keep moving. There's got to be a lot of action in the game, otherwise, uh, they will decide this is boring. I'll go play some other sport where there's more action involved. Brandon, yeah, we got to take a time yeah. out here. You know sure. how that goes. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> We're talking with Brandon Tierney uh, from WFAN, 877-337-6666. Friends, you know uh, my website, it's AskCoachWolf.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at AskCoachWolf. And before we uh, get back to our conversation this morning with uh, Brandon Tierney, let me just share two quick items with you. First of all, from the uh, Sports Edge Police Blotter, did you hear about the vicious and violent attack at a youth league basketball game near Atlanta? Apparently, a ref working a kids game was attacked after the game was over. He was attacked, beaten, punched, had to go to the hospital where he received 30 stitches. Now, this happened uh, last weekend, but here's, here's the key. Unlike so many situations where it's usually outraged parents who are involved in the assault, in this case... It was the actual players themselves who attacked the ref. A bunch of eighth-grade basketball players. Uh, and, and again, no parents were involved in the attack. Uh, here, here's a quick account I, I saw in one of the media reports uh, from Georgia. Uh, a basketball tournament in a church in DeKalb County got violent over the weekend. Uh, police are still investigating after a video surfaced of several players assaulting a referee uh, after a game was over. It shows them swarming the ref, um, and apparently the team, which is from Alabama, the Dream Team Elite, that's the name of the squad, had just lost a lopsided game. The referee at one point had held his hands up and walked backward while the kids came after him. Uh, they, took, they knocked him to the ground, punched him, and kicked him. I mean, <laughs> I, I saw the video. This looked like something out of out of the, the book, The Lord of the Flies. Anyhow, you wonder why it's so hard these days to get referees to work kids' games? Well, this is Exhibit A. This is kids. This is, this is very disturbing. Just because your team lost by a lot of points, you take out your frustration by beating up the ref? It's unbelievable. And, and on another front, at the college level, there was a lot of outrage this past week, uh, week when uh, Chelsea Lucas, who was the newly hired women's volleyball coach at Grambling State University, well... She told all 19 players who were currently on the team that they were going to be cut and that their scholarships were not going to be renewed. Now, Grambling, the athletic department, they stood behind their new coach, reminded that the, uh, the cut athletes that their scholarships are given out on a year-to-year basis. And the new coach has every right to do what she did. She's basically going to replace the current team at Grambling with an entirely new roster. In fact, the, uh, the AD of Grambling, uh, Travian Scott, said, quote, just as the transfer portal empowers student-athletes, well, our coaches are also empowered to make the decisions they deem necessary to advance their programs. And just if you're curious, the Grambling team was 11-17 and 17 this past season and 8-8 eight and eight in their conference. So they weren't great, but they weren't exactly uh, winless. Uh, you know, this is this stuff does bother me, and it happens, you know, uh, more and more. And um, yeah, Brandon, I'm curious. I mean, you, you <laughs> not to drop these things on you, but uh, what, what do you make of these situations? Well, I was just I was just watching the video. I was not aware of that actually until you were setting that up. And uh, uh, reprehensible doesn't quite describe it. They should be charged as criminals. Is what should happen. Number one. Um, now, you're right. Usually it's the parents who are uh, completely backwards. But you know what? I didn't see any parents jumping in to defuse no. it. No. <laughs> Not no. a single parent. Um, I, would, I would charge them with a crime. I mean, they're, not, they're not seven years old. They are more physically mature. Uh, I mean, that is, that is just disgusting. As, the, as for the story of Grambling, 
I, I understand that it is certainly the coach is right. I would have been a little bit more sensitive <laughs> in the, you know what I mean? Like, I, you, you can still recruit other players and deliver the message maybe after the season. Yeah. Uh, I mean, w- yeah, but a, a little, mm, little diplomacy. Know. Now, apparently the coach is a new coach and, uh, apparently she did go to each member of, uh, of the team. Uh, individually, and basically told them or informed them that they were not going to be renewed with their scholarship and they were going to be cut. But, yes, we understand that um, the scholarships are year to year. People understand that they're not guaranteed for four years when you go to college. But there has something to do with the fact that a little a little diplomacy here would have made sense. You know, uh, some years ago, this reminds me when Tommy Amaker, uh, the Harvard men's basketball coach, uh, who really has turned that program around, but at the end of his first year coaching the team, the yeah. Crimson went 8-22 and 22 that first year. When the season was over, he told the players who would be coming back for the following year, to, don't even bother trying out since America was going to bring in a bunch of his own recruits. And that, mm-hmm. that proclamation jarred a lot of people uh, because there are mm. no athletic scholarships, as you know, in the Ivy League. But Amaker's decision to cut his returning players before they have a chance to even try out, that didn't sit well with the Harvard Athletic Administration, and he had to sort of walk back his comments. So, you know, it's just – I understand we all want to win, and it is a business in college. I get all that, but gee whiz, that's that's tough. That's, you know – I mean, I guess my only question, Rick, and I know you want to get some other stuff. My only question with the Grambling situation was that – during the – was that after the season? After the season. After the season. Okay, then you know what? I have to be fair to that coach. I, I don't have much of an issue with that. Season's over. Her job is to win. She doesn't like the team that she inherited. That's her prerogative. <laughs> I, I, that's what her boss said. That's the idiot said. Hey, yeah. you know, same way kids can can jump program with the transfer portal. Our coaches have to do what they feel they have to do in order to succeed yeah. with the program. So I just I don't have an issue the, with that. The question is the way it was handled. That's the concern. Mm-hmm. All right, look, let's let's get back to our conversation and our calls about uh, youth baseball in this country. And uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Ralph in Manhattan. Hey, Ralph. Good morning. You're on the fan. Brandon, Rick, you mentioned something very significant in your discussion about how you deal with a young man, a young, uh, a young woman, when she's, she's coming up, he's coming up. You have to deal with them softly. And sometimes that word has a strange connotation. You're thinking, well, you want to push the, the kid, but you know something dating back uh, to 1910 when I was a kid and my, <laughs> and my father would deal with me in such a way, never compliment me. He was a wonderful dad. No, no offense to him. He's gone many years, but never compliment me thinking he's going to give me a big, what they used to call a big head. Now uh, be, uh, with <laughs> other people, with other people, he would talk and, and praise me up and down. But to me, he was very hard and very, very forthright in the, in the effect that I had to get out there and play better and better and better. But, Brandon, you brought up something very significant. The softer, the softer approach is much, is much, much better because the child uh, learns a great deal more and feels more at ease with what he or she is doing. Yeah, you know, it's funny. That, that, that's a delicate balance there. Um, I, I think my dad did it well. He would certainly alert me, you know, let me know what I did well. But I think, I think in some ways you almost go out of your way because <laughs> you're aware uh, how you're perceived from other parents. Like you almost gloss over occasionally your, your child's own accomplishments to, to disperse. I mean, in front of, the, in front of everybody. 
to kind of disperse that praise for the rest of the team. And you just there, I'll give you, I remember, uh, I guess it was, let me see, second grade, right before I started playing travel baseball. And we're at the awards and I get the MVP and my dad's the coach. And he's like, listen, he said, I can't coach anymore after this year and for baseball. And I said, well, why not? And he explained to me, he's like, you know, and he had given me the award and in, in all fairness, I, I did deserve it. But the other sports that I wasn't as good at, like basketball, even though I really loved it, he kept coaching me. And with baseball, he throttled back and put me in somebody else's hands while still being very involved in practice with me and the day-to-day dissection of the sport. So there, there's just there's a lot of things at play, and uh, there's emotions, there's politics, there's um, there's things you can control, there's things you can't, and you've just got to listen. We're not getting paid for this. <laughs> we're just trying our best to to set these kids up for a happy childhood at the end of the day. You know. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and, 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 and Ralph, thank you for the call, as always. You know, the thing is, uh, as you said, your dad got to a you know, point, he said, you know, next year I'm not going to coach you anymore in baseball. Something about about that transition to be playing for somebody who is, who is not your dad or your dad is not uh, the assistant coach, playing for other grown-ups, that's an important step forward for any, any young, young man or young woman in terms of their advancement in sports. Oh, my God. I think it's paramount. You yeah. know, that's why we're on a couple of different teams here, and I make sure for different sports, I make sure my role is different uh, everywhere. I think when you you need to learn how to process direction, um, and let's face it, the way messages are delivered vary from person to person. So I think it's really important, you know, so that there's a comfort level early. I mean, early, early. All right, Dad's here. I'm safe. I'm happy. But then, as things get a little more serious and and a little a little bit deeper into the um, you know closer to double digit in terms of age, they've got to learn and they've got to know that hey, daddy's not writing out the lineup card. You know, daddy's not just going to put you the point guard because you know your dad you you you're, you're the son. If you're not the best point guard, you're not playing point guard, and that's the way it's got to be. A matter of fact, I remember speaking of basketball, we were we had a good team, CYO. A couple of kids played college, Division two bunch of firemen now uh and uh we and we were good and we went to this tournament and you know just to be transparent we were the only white team in the tournament and we got whacked we got we got we couldn't even really get the ball past midcourt they were pressing us trapping us like they just undressed us right mm-hmm. so my father my father goes and uh, this was awesome little flower parish down by avenue d and we would scrimmage with them. He got along great. I think the other, I think the coach may have been a cop like my dad at that point. All white team, all black team. This is in the eighties, and we'd practice against each other. We would get better. I don't know if they got better, quite frankly, but we got better. Long <laughs> okay. story short, long long story short, my dad's like, I'm never going into a tournament again with with this team that we had prior. You know, where we couldn't really advance the ball. He took their five best players. He took our five best players. And we started entering tournaments with this team. Guess who lost his starting spot on the team? His son. <laughs> me. Me. Now, I went. To, I, I was now the sixth man, but I think that that's important. You know, Teak and I always talk about this, whether it's with Daniel Jones or, you know, <clears throat> Sam Darnold and eventually now Zach Wilson. It's got to be meritocracy. No matter how young you are, you still have to earn it. You have well, to earn it. The, the, one of the great, great uh... – 
attractions of sports and has been forever is that concept of meritocracy. The best athletes play. The best athletes will win. So if you're a coach or you're a parent, you got to accept that. I mean, yes, we know about daddy ball. We know about early on. Of course, kids just starting out early on. You want to make sure that your kid gets a chance to go out there and play and play a lot. But as you go up the ladder, we all accept the fact that, you know, I'm good, I work hard, but the fact is the kid I'm playing against or competing against for a starting job or playing time, he or she is better than I am, and that's just the way it is. That's what sports are all about. I mean, that's, that's... And you know what, Rick? That's why, at least specific to baseball, yeah. that's why positional versatility is so important. You might be the best shortstop in your town. You might even be the best shortstop on an all-star team that encompasses a couple of a couple of towns within a X amount of mile radius. But eventually, you're going to get to a field, and you're not going to be the best shortstop. Can you move to third? Can you move to center? Can you bounce over to second? And that's why uh, it's important to not just play <laughs> different positions, but different sports to learn how to control your body and all that stuff that you know about. I, I hear you. It brings back a memory. Uh, well, um, our time's up here, but. When I was playing in the minors, uh, I remember my first year, there was a kid telling my parents uh, that there's a kid who is faster than I am, hits better than I do, feels better than I do, and he's four years younger than I am, and he's down here at the little minors with me. His name was Willie Randolph, and so oh wow, <laughs> so, wow, that's I, awesome. I that learned I learned my lesson as well. There are guys who are better than you are. It's as simple as that. Hey, Brandon, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on this morning and to share some great, great stories and insights. Really, just a real, a real treat for for yours truly. It was imp- It was it was my pleasure, and thank you for what you do for the fan. It's a totally different vibe. But it's a really important one, Rick. It was my honor being on the show. Thank you, buddy. Hey, thanks, BT. And my thanks, as always, of course, to Ed Arzuman. That's going to do it for me, edition of the Sports Edge. I'll see you next Sunday right here on The Fan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.